the gospel of the Lord. No wonder Pastor Shervin let us know in earlier services that sometimes this was also known as Judgment Sunday, not just the reign of Christ Sunday. Perhaps some of you have read this as well, this little news story. It says, in the latest of a series of recent allegations about the Academy Award winner actor, actress Veronica Warren revealed Thursday that Tom Hanks was extremely kind to her on the set of 2007 film, The Da Vinci Code. He gave me half of his sandwich when he saw our food supply was running low, said Warren, who was only 17 at the time. And it wasn't just one instance. The entire time I was on the set, he was, ex he was repeatedly exposing himself to me as a thoroughly decent human being. Warren is just the latest actress to tell her story, coming just days after Zoe Tanowitz recounted the time Hanks entered her dressing room and performed an impromptu song and dance number for her birthday. And actress Georgia Marino, Hanks' co-star in The Green Mile, noted last month that the actor would regularly force himself upon the crew, insisting on helping them clean up equipment after shoots. We kept saying, stop it! Stop it, you're too kind. But he persisted. And in response to these allegations, Hank's spokesperson said he was unavailable for comment due to the fact that he was abroad on a humanitarian mission helping drought victims in Somalia. This is a satirical, tongue-in-cheek story. It makes us laugh because it's so unlike the news that we have been hearing and often hear speaking about the kindness as if that's news. It perhaps is a statement contradicting, contradicting these, these stories that reveal a culture that is ill in our society, a, a dark side of our society, and our way of looking at each other. But it reminds us as well that we are touched by stories of kindness, that kindness has a healing presence within us. And when we find these stories and we tell them, we are all uplifted. It's a good thing. Now Jesus tells such a story, of course, in the gospel that we just read. He's telling, he's telling what it's like to be under the reign of God or not to be. And he ties it very much with the kindnesses of life to the very least, where there is no opportunity or possibility of repayment. And we resonate to these stories 
Except this is a judgment story. It's called a judgment story. If you would open your Bible and see, that's, that's what it's titled. And the stories that have gone before are judgment stories. The story of the, of the ten bridesmaids, five wise, five foolish, and five of them left outside the door of the wedding. Of the story of the talents given as the master goes away, entrusting these talents to servants who use them or one buries them, and there's just a horrid, awful sentence given to that one. And here there's the separation of the sheep and the goats. I think the goats get a bad name. The goats in my neighborhood across my street who gleefully eat and glean our yard cuttings are much nicer and don't deserve this at all. And yet, there's something about this that is hard and harsh. And Jesus implies that in the doing, we have a taste and understanding of our salvation. I use that word, and remember Pastor Rudes sharing with it last Sunday, maybe you do too, that that salvation has to do with wellness, wholeness, completeness in our lives. But there's this other part about banishment, being outside the reign of God, and that just has a hard time with me. Because we tend to, as human beings, think a couple things when we think of the reign of Christ. One, we think that it is a time in the future, an event later on, maybe after we die, or when Christ comes again. And then we tend to think of it as a time when we stand trembling before that throne and we get sorted out. Well, I suppose the good news in that is that all the pain and the ugliness, all the injustice and the violence is not a word that goes unnoticed and unanswered. I like to think of that, but I don't understand about judgment. Jesus seems to apply that our wholeness, our salvation is dependent on the way we act, which is just as contrary as Lutherans at least to our understanding that we are God's children by grace alone. So how does this square? How do we live with this? I remember the young man standing before me in our, as we were talking rather informally I was on my internship. He was part of the youth group. And he said, you know why I come to church? Because I'm afraid of hell. And I don't recall that I was able to answer him. I was so shocked. What a reason to be in church. And yet, if we look at this passage at face value, 
There seems to be that red flag, that warning, you better watch out, you better be kind to your neighbor, or here's what you get. I admit there is much in Scripture I don't understand. And such harsh judgments is one of them. It doesn't seem to mesh with the God that comes, keeps coming again and again to an Israel that is stiff-necked and sometimes refuses the gifts and the grace, the call of God. It doesn't jive with the God that we see in Jesus who goes to a cross on behalf of us. It doesn't jive with the witness of those people in the first covenant books that proclaim several times that here is our God, the one who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. It doesn't jive with, with this is our God. He declares, I am your God. And we are the sheep of his hand and the people of his pasture. It doesn't square with the God, the God who so loved the world that he gave. Or with the word that declares to us there is nothing in all creation that can separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. Unless we take this verse, this story at face value and, and here, if you didn't do it, if you weren't kind, here's what you get. No, there's something wrong with that. In this vein of how do I approach this scripture, I love what Barbara Brown Taylor wrote in her book, Leaving Church. I picked up that book just because of the title, because how often have I thought of leaving church, I confess. And I knew I was leaving church when I first picked it up because I was retiring, and then I was wondering what is next. But in this, she speaks of her struggle as being a priest within the church, defending Christian beliefs, and sometimes these kinds of stories. The parts of the Christian story that drew her were the behold parts, not the demand parts, not this is what you have to believe and think, how things should be with you, but the behold parts. Behold. I bring you tidings of great joy. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. The Christian faith seemed to depend on beholding things that were clearly beyond belief. If it's true that God exceeds all our efforts to contain God, then it's too big then it's too big a stretch to declare that dumbfoundedness 
is what all Christians have most in common. Is that true? Standing in awe, wondering, with questions. This line struck me from what she said. I wanted out of the belief system and back into the beholding business. I wanted to recover the kind of faith that has nothing to do with being sure what I believe and everything to do with trusting God to catch me, though I am not sure of anything. Do you see the difference in this image from a story that says, be kind or else? If you notice something in this story, both the sheep and the goats are surprised. When? It's not like they were aware of what they were doing or not doing. It's almost as if Jesus is saying in this judgment story that it's not by trying, by doing the right thing, that we enter into the reign of God, that we find ourselves embraced by the grace of God. But at the same time, this grace of God is as close as our neighbor, especially our neighbors in need. Be kind to one another. May not be an admonition as much as an invitation. Another invitation to enter into the joy, the grace, the fullness of life that our God has for us. Jesus goes from telling this story in its perceived darkness to begin with to going to a cross. The cross which we have come to know and understand as an ultimate pouring out of love, of service, of taking on hurts and cares and needs in this dark world, in our hurting lives, and declaring in that resurrection, death and resurrection, these are not ultimate. Enter into my grace, my joy. We don't do it in order to be loved. We care because we have been enfolded by a grace and a love that takes us along with it, wherever it goes. And it's in the heart and the needs of this world, of these people, of each other, right at the point of our need. Here's the reign of God. Here it is. It's being held in the hand of God. It's being marked with the cross of Christ forever.
It's hearing, I'm your God, through thick and thin. It's being with Christ as Christ feeds the hungry, gives water to the thirsty, welcomes the stranger, clothes the naked, cares for the ill, visits the imprisoned. As Jesus describes his ministry and what he's about, when John asks, are you the one? It's living freely in the grace of God. You don't have to measure up. You don't have to do it perfectly. You're not going to be separated as a sheep or a goat because of it or lack of it. Your story and what you're going through is known and embraced by a God of grace and love. So today, the psalmist invites us into this grace. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let's shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. Let's come into God's presence with thanksgiving. For the Lord is our God. And we are the people of God's pasture, the sheep of God's hand. That's who we are. It's a given. Thanks be to God. Amen.